I made a, a joke to a friend of mine saying that, you know, I think all restaurant owners and chefs are like, they're like racing drivers. You kind of understand what a car is and you just, you know, you're good at just racing this car. But now you're forced to become kind of like a mechanic as well. You know, there isn't a team of people helping you race this car. You have to go and build this thing from the ground up again, understand every kind of mechanics and thing and still race it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There are many stories being told in this series, but one of the underlying themes is how people are leaving the past behind. Some are forced in a certain direction, others have taken a chance to take it on and go in a new direction, a direction they always wanted to but never quite felt ready for. The outcome of such is creating some really special pockets of hospitality by special people. Are we starting to see the start of a new dawn for hospitality? Victor Leong is the owner and chef of Melbourne's Li Ho Fook, which changed our perceptions of Chinese cuisine in Australia. Victor, how are you going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us today. How are you feeling after the weekend with the Victorian government um, putting a hold on the easing of restrictions just sort of literally after you've just got the doors open again? Look, I think, you know, for me it's – it doesn't feel like anything's really changed, you know what I mean? Because if they – you know, my space is still limited to 20 people irregardless of, um, you know, the, the restrictions. It's it's only when they start, you know, kind of dropping the one per four square metres it becomes – it starts affecting my business and, you know, in a sense where I can let more people in. But, you know, I think we were all, you know, holding our breath with, you know, everything going on lately, you know, kind of large gatherings, people being, you know, a little bit more freer to move around, um, you know, the series of protests that have been happening. Um, all of these things, we were just trying to see, you know, if the numbers would change and, you know, evidently it has. So I think, you know, um, yeah, as, you know, for, in terms of the greater good, I think it's better that, you know, we're, we're easing into it. It's annoying, but, um, you know, it's it's just the steps that we have to take. So, yeah, how do I feel about it? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit indifferent, to be, to be honest. How has this experience been for you? You know, we can go back and look at, you know, how the pandemic impacted on you and your business, but, you know, that's, it was a couple of months ago. Like, what's this experience of the last couple of months been like for you as a as an owner operator? Um, I think you know it's it's been a a huge roller coaster of of all sorts of things. You know, I think um, you're faced with you know these these restrictions, and you know it it's it's kind of it's been quite immediate with with how everything's kind of reacting, and and we were kind of forced to to be things and operate in certain ways that weren't kind of you know ideal or not our preference but then I didn't I didn't think it was um, kind of a bad thing it, it kind of is but it isn't you know I it, it's forced it's forced me to look at the business you know um, more closely um, and that's kind of good you know and, and and the reactive nature of how how we kind of you know arrived at certain points of of you know what's been happening has been pretty it's interesting it's not always been fun but i think they're all 
you know, it's a learning curve, I guess. You know, I I, I made a, a joke to a friend of mine saying that, you know, I think all restaurant owners and chefs are like, they're like racing drivers. You kind of understand what a car is and you just, you know, you're good at just racing this car. But now you're forced to become kind of like a mechanic as well. You know, there isn't a team of people helping you race this car. You have to go and build this thing from the ground up again, understand every kind of mechanics of the thing and still race it. So I think that's kind of, you know, how it's felt for me. Um, so is it good? Yeah, I think on the whole, it's not, you know, ideal, but you know, has it been a good experience? Yeah. I think, you know, I've, I've, I hate it. I don't want to say I've enjoyed it, but I've enjoyed the learning, you know, the amount of, of kind of forced and immediate learning that has come with it has been, has been, yeah, pretty good. Can we go back and have a look at how the pandemic affected you originally? And, you know, even before our society was shut down, uh, Chinese and Asian, Asian restaurants in Australia were affected um, because of the COVID uh, pandemic or perceptions of it. Um, did you experience this and, and what was that period like? Yeah, look, I think, you know, when when the inklings of the the first kind of news releases um, of the virus, um, you know, we we were coming off kind of, you know, a, a very quick bounce back to the year. Chinese New Year was very early this year. You know, I remember planning um, a program around that. And then, you know, um, I'm, I'm, execu- I'm co-executive chef of a, a restaurant that's associated with the star in Sydney. So they, they saw an immediate downturn. Um, and then, you know, like they, their strategic management team was tracking that very closely because um, that, that end of the business was very sensitive to, to that. So I think, you know, I, I got a pretty, pretty close um, understanding of what was happening in terms of um, external and internal kind of movements of, of, you know, Chinese customers and also the perception of that, you know. Um, I remember I was working on a, an article with a local um, journalist, Sophia, about going out and patronizing, you know, um, slightly more neighborhood Chinese restaurants and trying to dispel that. But then it all hit. And then, you know, you, you we saw it firsthand, you know, Shark Fin Inn shuttered and then all the other kind of, you know, businesses that very, very kind of closely associated with Australian Chinese um you know, hospitality was was hit very quickly, and I think that, and then it became everyone's problem. You know, I think at the start it was like, oh no, it's just a Chinese restaurant problem. You know, that you know they'll figure that out. But then, you know, I think it's a bit annoying because you know when you you look at the number, you look at the numbers, it's you know uh, more more people from America are transmitting the disease than than people from China, really, you know, in, in, an, in a Melbourne kind of context. And you don't have that kind of stigma attached to, you know, hamburger restaurants or pizza parlors, you know. So I think it's, yeah, it's, and it feels so long ago that's, that that's kind of stuck in everyone's, you know, kind of psyche. So, yeah. Well, Chinese cuisine dates back in Australia to the gold rush, and it's arguably the most influential cuisine in Australia. You'll see it in you know, regional pubs and RSLs and clubs in every suburban, you know, centre, there's always a Chinese sort of hub of the community. Um, what's your thoughts about Chinese cuisine in Australia and, and this period of time? Look, I think, you know, I, I do a lot of work um, with academic studies about Chinese diaspora and, you know, culture and stuff. That kind of stuff fascinates, fascinates me. Um, I feel that it helps me get a better kind of connection with, Chinese culture and, and its history in Australia, you know, a big part of what Li Hefuk 
um, is is a you know a, a Melbourne restaurant that serves Chinese food in um, you know arguably one of the oldest kind of Chinese diasporic um, populations in the world, and I think you know I, I feel you know very kind of privileged to be part of that history, um, but I think it's it's yeah it's 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 woven into a lot of you know a lot of countries' histories you know I think because of you know indentured workers around the world and how how you know the Chinese and you know kind of South Asians were replacing a majority of um, you know that that gap in the market around the world you know like Chinatowns in you know South America for example um, are filled with you know, the history is linked to indentured workers, which is basically cheap labor that used to replace slavery. Um, and then, you know, obviously with the gold rush and, and all of that. So I think Australia's relationship with, you know, its Chinese history goes back to, you know, obviously, you know, since the gold rush, but also because we're very close to China, you know, and the development with in terms of Chinese food and Chinese cuisine in um, Australia, I feel is you know, as responsive as it is in parts of China, you know what I mean? I feel that, you know, speaking to a lot of uh, people that study um, Chinese cuisine, you know, people always say that San Francisco has got the oldest Chinatown and probably does, but I don't think it's got the variety or scope or depth of Chinese kind of regional food in San Francisco as it would in, say, Sydney or Melbourne. You know, you wouldn't be able to go, oh, yeah, there's a Yunnan cuisine, a Hunan cuisine. Uh, you know, a Sichuanese cuisine, Xi'an restaurant, and everyone kind of knows the slight nuances on them. And I feel that, you know, I've always kind of said that it's it's like, you know, when Italian food kind of had its, is having its kind of, you know, regional specific, you know, nuanced restaurants, you know, everyone understands that if you go to a Sicilian restaurant, you're not going to get a risotto. But if you go to like a you know, a Milanese restaurant, you're not going to get pizza because, you know, these things are regional and they're, you know, they're slightly, they're, there's nuances in that cuisine. And I feel that, you know, we're having, we're going through that um, kind of um, process with Chinese restaurants, especially here in Australia, because we're very close to China and we've always had, you know, a good relationship in terms of, you know, um, the economy or, you know, just a receptive public, I guess, you know, Um yeah, so that's how I I think that Australia is probably you know mirroring more of a a wider understanding of what Chinese food is and in like the China of today as opposed to you know even I struggle with that sometimes I think you know everyone goes into a Chinese restaurant expecting it to be that kind of seventies pagoda red gold you know what I mean like dining halls of kind of chinoiserie as opposed to like what um you know a modern say cantonese restaurant would look like in guangzhou today um yeah so i think it's it's an interesting time like i think you know away from away from what's been happening at the moment um and progressively i think it'd be yeah it's exciting times yeah all of that is also um woven by a threat of racism in australia that um you know, our culture is constantly dealing with. You know, what's it like being an Australian with a Chinese-Malaysian heritage? Look, you know, I think every second-generation migrant, irregardless of being Asian or European or, you know, African or American, I think has a struggle with some kind of identity, especially when you're going to a country that was kind of, say, previously colonised and has got quite a Eurocentric or white-centric media 
perception. I think you got, you know, like even I went through that. A massive part of me opening Leho Fook was to kind of rediscover a cultural identity that, like, was that wasn't kind of, you know, um, a recognized, b kind of embraced. I I don't know. I think it's, you know, I I still kind of struggle with it, but I don't think struggle is the word. It's trying to work out you know, where it kind of sits and what it means. And I think, you know, yeah, there is probably, um, you know, like race, like a racial undertone with this kind of stuff. But also I think it's, you know, if I, I'm lucky to be able to do that in a country like Australia because of, you know, the diversity as at the same time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Can you tell us a bit about your cuisine? Because you've really um, taken your roots and, um, Chinese cuisine and and shone a new light on it with your own sort of spin. Um, tell us a bit about what you've been doing before the pandemic with uh, Li Ho Fu. Well, you know, I think Li Ho Fu for me was always going to be like an exploration um, in Chinese cuisine. So I knew that, you know, I wanted to to showcase a, a diverse range of techniques, flavors, cultural history all tied under this huge umbrella of Chinese cuisine. But then I also knew that I wasn't, you know, trained per se in a Chinese kitchen, which is, um, you know, technically and structurally a completely different, um, you know, cuisine training base. But, you know, I, I cooked I cooked at very nice, you know, European-centric, you know, Australian restaurants. And I thought, you know what, I could probably mash that together. So, um, that was how it kind of was born. And then there's a lot of things that are like linked to flavor memory or like historical studies, like, and I wanted to kind of bring that to the front, I guess. And I figured that, yeah, you telling that story in an Australian lens would be pretty cool. And that's probably what we, we arrived at in terms of the restaurants. Um, and you know, we, we've lucky that I've just turned seven. So it's been a long, uh, you know, it's a decent amount of time to be exploring a complex subject. And I, I'm lucky that a lot of things have fit and fallen into their positions. And, you know, the customers like what we do and, you know, the, the staff, the team, and, you know, everyone's getting better and better. So, yeah, I think um, I'm lucky in that way. Um, and also, you know, I'm lucky that I get to do it in Melbourne, which is a very receptive kind of dining public and a very sophisticated kind of customer. So, and, you know, and a, and a very nice kind of hospitality landscape to, to be able to do the style of hospitality and food that I, I really enjoy doing, you know. So, yeah. How did you get started in the industry? Um, good question. I started when I was in high school. I had a part-time job working at a Italian deli um, in the suburb of Burwood in Sydney. So that was fun. I only worked there two days a week. It was like Thursday after school and then Saturdays, sometimes Sundays. Um, and I was kind of always into food, but I went, like I worked there because, you know, I wanted to learn about um, charcuterie. Um, I didn't know it was called charcuterie back then. It was called the hams and cheeses. Um, <laughs> and I ended up and I ended up working uh, with this, these lovely um, old Venetian lady, Manuela. Um, and she had a business partner, Rosa. So uh, Manuela was from Venice and Rosa was from Sicily and they used to incessantly just argue about whose cuisine's better. Um, but also, you know, in that's, that's kind of like the background noise, but I, I really developed, you know, liking, um, you know, obviously food, I've always been into eating, but then 
you know, the nuances of how you should cut certain types of hams and what cheeses go with what. And, you know, as, as a 15 year old Chinese dude, that was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, and I think that that kind of grew. I went to university. I dabbled with the idea of being, you know, in kind of some kind of corporate um, the finance job because I kind of in the back of my mind wanted to, to do something like that, but I think that was too boring and I was I was failing kind of uh, the core subjects that requ you kind of require to be in banking and finance and I thought I'd switch majors into hospitality and yeah, I finished that and then um, started my apprenticeship and then yeah, that's almost 15 years ago. Well, you ended up working at Galileo Restaurant at the Observatory Hotel and Mark Restaurant and Mr. Wong. What was it like working with people like Mark Best and and Dan Hong and in those sort of times? Well, I think you know, I, I'm, I'm I feel that I was lucky to get to the tail end of you know like the big brigade kitchen. You know, I remember being an apprentice in a restaurant like Galileo because at the time I was obsessed with Joel Robichon and I was thinking, all right, let's map out a career path and ending up going to Robichon. So I searched back then; it wasn't a Google, so you had to just like read, you know. Um, reviews and newspapers and you know journals and all of that and I bumped into a, an article saying that Haru the executive chef of Galileo at the time um, he opened Talavant in uh, Tokyo which is like a three-star and you know Joel back then was the first restaurant to have a three-star restaurant in Paris and a three-star restaurant in Tokyo and I really liked his food I you know I flicked to a a cookbook once and I was like, yeah, I really want to learn how to make these little dots on a plate. Um, so I worked, I, I was an apprentice. <laughs> I know it sounds really naff now, but you know, back then when there was nothing around, I was like, yeah, this is the kind of, you know, level of finesse I want to get to. And then I worked for, so I worked for Haru for oh, almost two and a bit years, but at Galileo, it was, it was a good learning experience. You know, his whole kitchen was almost 80% Japanese and, you know, 20% locals and, um, and apprentices and that they were kind of the tail end of the days of the big, you know, big brigade. I remember it used to be like, you know, a garmanger section that had three chefs, you know, a fish section that had three chefs, a meat section that had three chefs, and then a garnish section that had two chefs. So you're looking at like, you know, like a Tuesday night service having 12 guys in there, you know, and those days are definitely over. Um, but then also the food kind of re reflected with that level of work as well, you know. It's like very, it's quite contrived in terms of its, you know, plating and its artistry. It's really, really kind of cool to learn as an apprentice, you know, like you got to turn five boxes of artichokes every day and throw the rest away. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff was pretty cool. And then, yeah, I think it was it was really a nice. And it was very hard, a lot of work, but, you know, it was it was nice to see, you know, a lot of skilled people kind of vibing off the creativity of, you know, the, the executive chef, the head chef and the sous chef and, you know, actually being shown how to, you know, make a mescaline mix. It's like, I remember they were like, oh, yeah, just order. Um, order the lettuce for the mescaline mix. I was like, what's that? And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, here's, you know, this is chef's kind of lettuce mix. And it was like, you know, you get butter lettuce, you know, coral, red and green. You get like rocket. You'd have to pick it all, wash it all. And, and I think at that level of care and process, you, you kind of, you know, you don't, you don't muck up the salad often because you have to go and mix, you know, 15 types of lettuces and herbs to make the mix, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that experience, but I think, yeah. Um, and then I worked, you know, I, I floated around a little bit and I got a job at Mark kind of towards the end of my apprenticeship and I stayed there. Um, and then that was kind of the opposite. You know, that was like the, 
the the elite of the small team kitchen you know i remember it was only like five or six guys in there you know doing a different type of intricate food and it was a lot of fun you know i think um and yeah i remember that was kind of the cusp of you know kitchens kind of leaning down into slightly smaller brigades because um you know i think it was something happened i think it was like the gfc or something happened around that time and everyone was forced to kind of you know shrink shrink back down because a you couldn't hold that many staff and i think fringe benefits tax had something to do with it during that time as well so no one was like that busy for lunch anymore um so yeah it's good to kind of see that and i did my majority of training with mark um you know in in terms of european cuisine and then i joined um yeah i worked with dan and that was really that was really really good you know we we worked at miss g's for just under a year and then we opened mr wong's and and then yeah and then i moved to melbourne and that was pretty that was a nice experience because we were building another like a big team at at, at uh, mr wong's and it was just full of talent and um it was you know a big busy restaurant um yeah so i think you know my in terms of my career and training i've I've been very fortunate, you know, I've had great mentors, cooked some really nice food, you know, been through a, a, a period of time that was dynamic and, you know, here we are, we're arriving another period of time that's going to be quite dynamic. So, yeah, it's been interesting. Well, in March, you opened a second Leho Fook at Marvel Stadium at Docklands in Melbourne. What, what's the status of that project given the pandemic? Um, it's... The, hit the big pause button because we haven't actually quite opened. Um, it's so annoying because we did all this work and the lead up and we did the soft opening. Everyone was happy. Um, there was a triple header kind of book that weekend. We were, you know, in line to do 750 a day for three days straight. Wow. Um, and then just before that happened, yeah, they just they hit the pause button. And um, my partner, my, you know, our hospitality um, management partners and that just, because if they're incorporated in America, they just stood everybody down except for, you know, the the executive team just to field answers, like, you know, questions and, and make sure, you know, each location was compliant. But yeah, that was, yeah, it was a big, um, that was a big kind of halt. It was, it felt like they, they just shut down a city on that, on that project. So um and we still like yeah we've had conversations with them but we're still not sure when that project's going to start up um i guess like every other business and and you know as a business owner i i totally understand i go look you know there's a possibility they might not start up there is but then you know in, in what capacity and they're all things that we have to kind of work through um i'm just lucky that i've got one small nimble restaurant um, that's Leho Fook in the original location that I can kind of, you know, work work in and on at the moment. But yeah, it's um, it'll be an interesting kind of restart moving forward. How has this experience changed you and and your approach to food at Leho Fook? Um, you know, I think the biggest part is how I manage my team, and I feel that. Um, it's it's just trying to get everyone to to work towards a common goal that it, that is kind of fulfilling you know and also in terms of the approach to food like i we've always wanted to be more kind of australian focused in our kind of produce and and you know kind of 
product delivery um, in a weird way. It's not so much. Um, I feel that it's there's there's a cooler story to tell. Trying to you know tell the story of where you are than than kind of aspirationally operating, and that it, it came as a. Tr I think the crux of that was you know kind of during the bushfire season, you know like oh, probably for about a year and a half I was like oh can't we just only pour Australian wine and you know speaking to my beverage managers and and sommeliers. You know, we mapped out a plan and then at the start of the year, we actually went all Australian except for champagne. And even I was like, I don't want champagne. Um, but I guess, you know, for for celebratory and, and what the customers want, um, you know, and we've, yeah, we've, we've successfully moved to an all Australian wine list. And, you know, it was a nice time to do it, you know, because a lot of uh, wine producers, wine, you know, wine growers and, you know, the, the that that part of the the industry sector was you know obviously suffering because of the bushfires and and how hard that was and you know i was very proud to 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 be only dispensing that that um you know the australian um wine kind of vision and you know i always thought it was you know there's only that many kind of wine trainings you can sit in and they go oh you know this side of the mosul that side of the mosul you know north south bank you're like well it's i'll never go there you know, I get it. It's really good. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's inferior or superior, but I think it's a, pe a cooler story when you're like, you know, on the way to the Mornington, it's on the left-hand side of the highway. You're like, oh yeah, I know that place. And then that's this guy, you know what I mean? I feel that there's a more realistic kind of connection. And Australia is huge and, you know, there's, we make amazing wines and, you know, there's cooler stories. I think um, just relatable, you know, and also if you've traveled, you know, and I, I, I have this kind of almost um experience a lot when i travel outside of australia to to experience hospitality it's you know you end up just looking at wines and you go well i'm just drinking this because it's cheaper than australia not so much it tells a better story or there's a connection you know i think that's always been a gap um in terms of um you know the the experiencing that that style of hospitality you know what i mean like um you know we went to a trip in new york and i remember we just drank it we were drinking all this poolside just going oh it's just 40 dollars cheaper a bottle this is great but then like we, we drink that on tuesday you know at Embler or at, at the builder's arms it's not not like it's adding to that experience you know i kind of wish that there was an offering where you know it kind of told more of like an american story or a new york story and I, to be honest, it's like it didn't have to be like amazing. It just had to be something that you kind of be, you know, remember in terms of either a story or the quality of the product or, you know, the intent, I guess. So, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of kind of um, forces at play that um, are driving us to to look at our, our food approach a little bit differently. And, you know, for, for me, it's all about um, looking inwards. You know, I, I always feel that, you know, all the answers are inside, not outside. Um, and yeah, so I'm looking forward to, you know, just being better connected with, with the food community within Australia, you know, moving forward. Because I think it's a cool story to tell. And, you know, if, if I'm the small restaurant that can do that, then hopefully I'm playing one small part and, you know, a positive kind of, you know, step forward, I guess. A lot of people have suggested that out of this, you know, people are going to want more casual sort of offerings um respected restaurateur dave mcintosh was in recently and he posted something on instagram um saying about how you know you're embracing yours and your team's experience in modern fine dining and taking it to the next level 
And he also said, it's amongst the best meals available in the world right now. You know, how do you feel about that perception coming out of a pandemic and, and what what is happening with your food? Are you really pushing further into that fine dining area, do you think, with Chinese? Yeah, so I think, you know, we, we arrived at the current offering at Li Ho Fook because, you know, uh, about six weeks ago, I made a decision to to kind of alter the at-home program because at the start of the lockdowns, we were doing meals for two people because at that stage, everyone was, you know, required to to quarantine with, you know, their significant other or this kind of like um, stay in place and, and get locked down type situation. So we figured um, the number that we picked was, you know, we'll cater for two people, three meals over, you know, kind of the space of two to three days. Um, and then we altered that to, to include dishes that were on our a la carte menu before um, the lockdown kind of happened. So, the aim for that was so that if you wanted to to cater for a larger group of people, if you had a dinner party, you could cook the food that you know we're known for, and um, and that's available via the website now. It's you know one of the coolest things during this was trying to figure out how to build a web store and create that, um, and I think every every restaurateur has gone through that. So, um, but now with you know the restrictions easing. You know, our our small restaurant can only really sit 26, 28 people uh, with the square meterage. So I figured, you know, if we're going to do something like that, why don't we just offer a kind of set menu? So we're doing 10 courses or 10 dishes over eight courses. Um, and, you know, kind of what what was the, the trigger for that was I needed to find, you know, another goal that the team could kind of, you know, rally behind and find fulfillment in and you know for me to kind of start being creative in the in the kitchen again as well and we settled at this program so um it works i think because we can only you know physically do 40 people a night uh, for the service nights that we're open so you know cooking in in this kind of setting and with the experiences that everyone like all the staff has had you know the majority of my staff are from you know fine dining tasting menu kind of oriented restaurants so it was a bit of a no-brainer to go down that path because everyone is you know a trained b capable and c it kind of suit what we're trying to offer at the moment um so yeah it's been it's been exciting and also to kind of allows us to tell the story on our terms you know what i mean so we could we could build a narrative and on and communicate you know our idea of of chinese food in you know the the set menu kind of program so it's been it's been pretty good but it's only also been the second week of doing this so um and yeah so that's that's the kind of direction that i'm heading uh with Li Fook at the moment what do you love about chinese cuisine and what are the challenges in interpreting it the way that you do i love um, how technical it is, you know, and how nuanced it is. You know, you can have, you know, kind of beautiful, delicious meals at all kind of levels, you know, all the way from the street vendor doing noodles all the way to, you know, really intricate and, you know, um, processes that take three to four days to kind of create. And, you know, a big exciting part of it is to try and, um, communicate that type of the, the the value 
you know, that I kind of really appreciate about the cuisine, you know, to the dining public, you know, um, and also trying not to keep it in a format that's, you know, always Eurocentric, you know, I think um, serving, it's, I think it's important to kind of serve the food and tell the story and communicate the, the value of the produce or the technique in its entirety, in its kind of original context, but also, also, you know, being mindful that, you know, it's, it's a Melbourne dining public and, you know, a little bit of education there is pretty cool as well. So I think, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice challenge, but also it, it's an inspiring, a, a different layers of creativity. And I, I really, really like that. And I think, you know, um, it doesn't always have to look so kind of, you know, intricate or pretty. I think it's, it's about, ex, you know, explaining the, the kind of work and the thoughtfulness and, you know, the, the technique that goes behind the cuisine, but into something that, you know, hopefully translates into delicious. So, um, and that for me has always been fascinating, especially with food. What do you think the next couple of years will look like for restaurants in Australia? Look, I think it will be difficult. You know, I, I don't think anyone's got the answer on how to, you know, um, navigate a super successful business out of this. But then I think it's also exciting, you know, um, it, in, in these times it will create, it'll offer opportunities for, you know, the next young creative chef to come in and, you know, show us how to, you know, their, their version of hospitality. I think it's going to be a nice time for that. Um, it'll force the guys that are slightly more established to, to work on or rework on things that, you know, made them great. You know, I think this is a, it's, it's an interesting time and it will be hard, but I think a, a lot of creativity and, and beautiful things will come from this. You know, um, if you look at, at history in, you know, cause I, one of the good things about this break was, you know, being able to devour um, books and and articles, and you see, like, you know, the the summer of 1927 in America was its heyday. You know, it had um, it had all these beautiful things, like you know, Charles Lindbergh, Babe Ruth, you know, Al Capone, uh, Prohibition, Great Great Gatsby. These were all. It was a very cool period of history. You know, I think, you know, when you're a kid and you look at you look at history books and you're like, oh, 2019, nothing happened. You know, 2020, oh my God, how do people survive that? <laughs> you know, and then, and that's, it's basically, it's mirroring what happened about a hundred years ago, you know, with the Spanish flu. And then six, seven years after that, you had this, you know, super opulent, you know, amazingly beautiful, you know, everything was kind of um, optimistic, you know, the design, the attitudes of people, you know, the, the kind of human development and you know i'm looking forward to that and i think you know once once we 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 grieve what's happened and kind of take stock and everyone rallies together i think you know especially with the information that you can you can share with the internet and the community and and all that i think yeah it'd be, it'd be a nice it, i'm optimistic about what's going to happen next to be honest how do you hope we look back at this period of time in the future you know what? I, everyone is like, oh, I think there's there's a lot of my people I speak to that that go, oh, you know, this will you're gonna teach this to kids, and you know they'll never forget. But you know, a big part of of me goes, we're just gonna squash the shit down, hey? <laughs> it's gonna be like a trauma that we we just forget. Like it's it's even happening now. Like I can't remember 
how I I looked and and felt about the world in like April. You know, I can only think about what I want to do after September. You know what I mean? I think um, it's funny like that, right? I you think you know that there would be articles or amazing books or but i think you know it's it is it is very traumatic and the whole world is going through it so like i think there will be um a shared suffering with this which will bring everyone closer but i think i don't think it'd be remembered that much hey to be to be honest that's how i feel about it anyway you know i'm I'm optimistically looking forward <laughs> and not you know reflecting too much on on you know the kind of crises that were going through my mind you know eight weeks ago um but you know also i'm grateful that you know we, we went and and did all these things so quickly and you know learned so much i feel that that's given us um a nice kind of foundation and mental kind of toughness about you know how to approach everything moving forward well, mate, you're a great talker and amazing thinker. It's been amazing to have you on the show. Uh, keep in touch, especially with Marvel Stadium. Look forward to hearing some good news there. And um, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Dude, it's been amazing. And also, no, it's good. I've been a long-time listener, first-time caller. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Talk soon. Thanks, mate. Have a great day, yeah? This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. 